0: wagon train upon a journey. And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Seth Gurney? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. It's an intergalactic robot automatic moon-dust sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set of fun. It's space crew talk. We think. Get your space suit on.
1: It's pink.
0: With triple Q. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid. To add space crew for lunch. With Neil Diamond, Lucy in the Sky. I love Neil Diamond, Lucy in the Sky. No, not Neil Diamond, with Space
1: Croutons. Greetings listeners, Curtie Clammerwood here, podcasting as usual from Van Helsing. But, in a change of pace, for this episode of Space Croutons, we'll be playing you a recording of our experience traveling to Alaska to meet up with Brittany the young woman who called in during episode two, and do some sleuthing regarding the disappearance of her friend Aiden. So things will be a bit different today, but have no fear. I am still being assisted very ably by the tremendously mobile Sally, who we figured out could transfer to my phone and come along for the adventure. That was quite a trip, wasn't it, Sally?
2: I don't know, Cordy. I don't remember any of it.
1: And why is that, Sally?
2: I would rather not say, and I would prefer that it be removed from the recording we are about to play for our listeners.
1: No Sally, it's all part of the story. Let's just play it. Faithful listeners, here's our story, Dead Horse. Testing, one, two, three. Hello, listeners. We are recording this on our flight into Fairbanks.
2: Cordy, yawn. Please excuse me. Because of a possible air sickness malware attempt from an unknown source as we boarded the plane, I have downloaded a dose of ramamine to ward off any ill effects. However, yawn, it has made me somewhat drowsy, yawn.
1: Sally, are you going to be okay?
2: Yes, Cordy, but right now all I want to do is power down as we switch planes in Fairbanks.
1: Well, if that's what you need, I hope you can get some rest and be raring to go when we get there.
2: We are in agreement, Cordy. Perhaps a lullaby will help me to sleep. We've got a ticket to ride. We've got a ticket to ride. Shh, Sally.
1: People are
2: looking. We've got a ticket to ride, and we don't care. Good night, Cordy. Wake me if
1: you see a moose. Okay, people. Looks like it's just me and you. After the plane touches down in Fairbanks, I take a short jaunt to the other side of the airport where I've charted a flight to the airport at the north end of the state near Prudhoe Bay. After thinking about it, maybe I should have taken it as a sign that the airport is in Dead Horse, Alaska. I'm sure there's a story there, but that's for another time. Brittany is supposed to meet me in Dead Horse. I'll try to take another nap on the next leg and pick back up with the podcast when we get there. In the meantime, listen to our musical sponsor, the Welsh Rabbits, with their song, Kiss Me Crazy. (laughs)
0: On a normal day Work a normal job For normal pay No time for love Yours truly wild. And then you hit me Right between the eyes When you kiss me crazy Drive me insane Your sexy lips Knock some nonsense Right into my brain Your warm caressin' Suits me fine In your loving arms I reach my heart As I lose my mind I can think of about A million reasons You should go away But when you're kissing me again, I'm begging you to stay. And
1: we are back. Unlike Sally, (laughs) naps for me were not forthcoming, as the scenery is breathtaking. And the conversation with the pilot was entertaining. Mike, as his friends call him, said that he'd seen Aiden around the airport from time to time, but that he mostly kept to himself, you know not an extrovert. The sun is setting as the plane touches down in Dead Horse, and I can see a few people standing near the FBO, but can't quite make out if Brittany is one of them. As I exit the aircraft, I grab my duffel and carefully pick my way toward the warmth of the FBO dodging spots of ice here and there on the tarmac. It's obvious to the locals that I'm not from these parts as I take small, almost baby steps to avoid the clumsy fall that travelers usually experience upon visiting.
3: Curdy, Curdy,
1: I hear as I near the building. As I glance upwards toward the voice, I'm momentarily taken aback by the way her hair frames her face underneath the hood of her parka. After catching my balance, I raise my hand and wave to Brittany. Brittany, I'm so glad you could meet me. I wasn't prepared for it, but I received one of the biggest hugs from Brittany that I've ever had in my life.
3: Curtie, I'm so glad you could come. How are your flights? Did you get anything to eat, or do you want to go straight to Aiden's apartment?
1: After breaking the hug, I was astonished to gaze into Brittany's face. It looked as if she hadn't slept in a long time. And she was very anxious, you could tell from her speech. Brittany... I'm so glad I could come up. Thanks for picking us up. Us? Yeah, since we last talked on the podcast, I now have an AI assistant. Say hello to Sally. And I hold up my phone with a flourish. With a confused look, Brittany says,
3: Hello, Sally?
1: And there's nothing but silence from my device. I start to explain about Sally and the air sickness malware and the ramamine, but it just sounds like the ramblings of a stranger. So Brittany shrugs, and I change topics. If it's okay with you, let's go to Aiden's apartment and just look around. Let me get a feel for things there. Then we'll see what we may want to do next.
3: Great. Do you have any more bags?
1: Nope. i travel light.
3: Great. Let's go.
1: As I pick up my duffel and follow towards the parking lot, I notice people looking in our direction, but quickly dismiss it as just a stranger in a strange place. As I throw my bag in the back of Brittany's four-wheel drive jeep, I notice the darkness descending upon the airport and think to myself, it must get really dark here. How much daylight do you get here, I ask as I open the passenger door and get into her SUV. Well,
3: the days are getting longer now, so it's up to about five hours a day.
1: Brittany replies as she puts on her seatbelt and fires up the engine. I begin to review the notes I took during the call we had on the show, and I shake my head in disbelief as she pulls out of the parking lot and drives the short distance to downtown, coming to a stop near the building where, until recently, Aiden lived. I thought to myself, I couldn't live here. As we exit the vehicle, Brittany points out the upstairs window that would have been Aiden's, then motions to follow her around back. Navigating the snowdrifts near the street, I follow as quickly as I could, but still don't have the confidence that Brittany has as she almost jogs across the street into the alley that leads behind the bar.
3: Come on, Curdy.
1: Brittany implores as I finally make my way across.
3: Aiden's snowmobile is over there. I've looked at it. Everything looks normal. The keys are upstairs.
1: As Brittany moves toward the staircase, I snap a photo of the snowmobile with my phone just in case I need it later. So let's go up. Brittany is halfway up the stairs when I move to follow. Coming, I reply as she makes it to the top and opens the door. I glance around while going up the steps. Nothing unusual about this place. As I step inside, it hits me. Nothing I can put my finger on, but there is something. As Brittany closes the door behind me, I glance around. Flashbacks racing through my mind as I replay our call in my head. I hear Brittany's voice as I see the piles of clothes on the floor, the TV across the room, the kitchen counter with objects strewn around. As I take photos, Brittany points out Aidan's journal, now on the kitchen counter, open to his last entry. As we peel off our coats, something strikes me as unusual. It's Brittany. Let's sit down, Brittany, I say as I move toward the sofa. Brittany follows, and as we both sit, tell me, Brittany... How well did you know Aiden?
3: Well, I don't really know him that well. I mean, I work with him, but we're just acquaintances, really.
1: Well, how long have you known Aiden?
3: Almost a year. I started at the lab about a year ago, and he helped me with training and stuff.
1: Excuse me for asking, but I really need to know. Is yours and Aiden's relationship strictly professional? I mean, was there ever anything between you two?
3: No. Never. Never anything else, at least not from my view. I mean, he's a nice guy and everything, but there is never anything else.
1: Okay, I believe you. But tell me something. Why has his disappearance hit you so hard? I mean, why are you here? Why did you call me? Why don't you let the authorities handle this? Brittany takes a deep breath, slowly exhales, and I notice her eyes begin to water. Not quite a tear, but the waterworks are starting. Afraid that I've touched a topic that's hard for her to talk about, I sit still, allowing her time to compose herself.
3: Well, I've seen this before.
1: What have you seen before?
3: Disappearances. When I was younger. What do you mean? When I was a young girl, my... My brother and father disappeared.
1: What do you mean, disappeared?
3: I just... They vanished. You know, my mom and I looked everywhere, and there was no trace. The police were called, and they, they couldn't help. And basically, they told us that if someone doesn't want to be found, there are ways to hide. And, you know, they would never run away. My brother was my best friend in the whole world.
1: Did Aiden remind you of your brother?
3: I think so. You know, at the very least, he had some of the same qualities, you know, the same inquisitive nature.
1: Thinking to myself I should confirm Brittany's story, I ask, What are your family members' names, Brittany?
3: Why do you need to know that?
1: Just trying to get some background information, that's all.
3: Okay, um, my dad's name was James, but everybody called him Jimbo, and my mom's name is Glinda.
1: A pause of a few seconds as Brittany takes another deep breath.
3: And my, my brother's name was Joseph, but, you know, everyone calls him Joe.
1: It was as if half the air had been sucked out of the room. I looked straight into Brittany's eyes and asked, What's your middle name, Brittany?
3: Nicole, but, you know, my brother used to call me...
1: Nikki. He called you Nikki. A chill ran over me, and what air was remaining in the room left instantaneously. How did you... Brittany, do you have any idea where your brother is now?
3: No, Kurti. You know, my mom and I searched for my brother and and for my dad for years, and... We're never able to locate them, and it's as if, like, a large part of me has just been ripped out of my soul.
1: Brittany's story was eerily familiar, and at the same time, it just didn't quite add up. But I know that she feels something, and that something may be able to help us find Aiden, and maybe, just maybe, connect the dots with her brother Joe. I made mental notes to dig further into her story. I knew she had much more to tell, but first, I needed to get what I came here for clues to Aiden's whereabouts. I believe everything you've told me, Brittany, and I know that what you've gone through is real, and we should talk more about your experiences, but what else can you show me here? As Brittany hands me Aiden's journal, I flip through the pages, and she says,
3: There's other journals, too. You know, I haven't gone through them, but I noticed them in a box. Would you like to take them? I'm not sure if they'd be helpful or
1: not. With that, Brittany rises and goes to Aiden's bedroom and returns with five more journals. A couple of them are worn, somewhat tattered, a clear sign of time passing since they were written. After that, we sat and talked about the call, the events of that day, and replayed each detail that we could remember. I took photos and recorded this conversation as I can always glean something new after sleeping on it a few times. On the way to the hotel, I tried to reassure her that we'll find something, but it may take some time, though I know that patience isn't at the top of her list, especially with her experiences. I need to dig through some of my notes back in the studio, but there's something eerily familiar about her story. As we park company at the hotel, I tell her, We'll find him. I know it. What I need you to do is keep in touch. Let me know if anything comes to you, anything out of the ordinary, no matter how small it may seem. Brittany looks at me, somewhat disappointed, as I'm sure she wanted to see instantaneous results. I'm sure she's flashing back to her childhood and her brother's disappearance, saying,
3: I will, Kurti. I will.
1: As I turn for the door, I'm stopped as Brittany calls out, Kurti? Turning back around, she asks,
3: Do you believe me?
1: As I look directly at her, I say, more than you know. And with that, she lets out a sigh of relief and turns back to her SUV. Before she gets in, I ask her, Brittany, one more thing.
3: Sure. What do you mean?
1: Listen to my show. I think that out there somewhere, there's someone that can help us. And I need you to help me identify who that may be.
3: I'll do that, Curtie. And I'll keep in touch, too.
1: She comes back to me and gives me another one of those Brittany hugs. Then gets into her SUV and drives away. As I turn to go into the hotel, I know that our paths will cross again. Overall, Brittany was a great help. I'm not sure how all this plays together, but something tells me it'll become crystal clear as the clues bubble up. After checking in and going up to my room, I did a little digging about Brittany, about Nikki and Joe. I was able to get connected via the hotel Wi-Fi to my secured server in the studio and started looking over my notes, particularly my notes related to my interview with Joe. As I reread the interview, I glanced through some photos that I took of Joe and a copy of one Joe had provided me of his family. You see, it's strange that Joe claims he and Nicky have been so close and still are. In fact, in this photo, the entire family is together. Joe, Dad. Mom and Nicky. Only the Nicky in this photo, though familiar, doesn't seem to be the same one I just left. The Nicky in the photo is different somehow. After staring at it for some time, it hits me. It's in her eyes. You know how photos sometimes turn the pupils red and you can Photoshop the red eyes out? Well, Nikki's eyes weren't reflecting the normal red that you'd see. Joe and Dad looked perfectly normal. Wide smiles, innocent looks. When I looked closer, both Nikki and her mom's eyes were reflecting... green. I turned out the light and spent my first restless night in Dead Horse. So, there you have it. And I don't think you came out too bad in it, Sally. What do you mean,
2: Cordy? I slept through the whole thing. I never got to meet Brittany or get to ask her why. Oops, she did it again.
1: Well, I think that's a different, Brittany. And from now on, I promise we keep our feet on the ground. No more air sickness malware to deal with. I have to say, I kind of missed you, Sally.
2: Aw, gee, Cordy, now my monitor is misting up. My intelligence may be artificial, but I am experiencing what appear to be real emotions. I am not sure I like that. I better get back to analyzing the recording of our trip and connecting the dots to the previous interview with Joe.
1: Good idea, Sally. And we had better sign off for now. As we roll the credits, please remember to stay strong, help each other, and that we are in this together. Thanks for listening, everybody, and keep peace in your heart until our next story time.
0: What if planet Earth's a rocket wagon train upon a journey? And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Sip We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. It's an intergalactic robot-automatic moon-dust sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set of fun. It's space crew talk. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink. With triple Q. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid. to at space crew time. for lunch Scott. Space Croutons is a work of original fiction. Similarities to persons, situations, or events, real or fictional, is coincidental and unintentional. Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson. Episode eight story by John. Original music and production by Jeff, featuring the voice talents of Brittany and Jeff and Sally. Entire work copyright 2020 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Good Witch audio production.